You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the Geeks and all the Geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geek's Watch. We're here talking about Westworld Season 2 still. Episode 4, I want to say? I believe so. Yeah, Episode 4, John. Uh, The Riddle of the Sphinx. How do you feel about that? I have a lot to say about this episode, so we'll get into that. There's definitely a lot to talk about in this episode. Um, But let's go ahead and talk about some geek news first. So you had uh, uh, a Twitter, Tweeter? Someone on Twitter asked James Gunn, Have you ever considered calling Guardians 3 Guardians of the Galaxy.mp3? Just saying, it would be so cool. And uh, James Gunn actually responded to him. He said, uh, let me find it. He said something to the effect of, you know what, a lot of people have come come at me and said the same thing. Uh, that would be interesting, but I'm going to stick with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I like that. Keep it nice and round. I hate it when, like, in the process of something, they come up with a different version for the one that would round it out, and it just doesn't feel right anymore. Mm. Like, when they would release different DVD covers for stuff and... Like, one of them just doesn't look like it belongs anymore. They did that a lot with the Star Wars. Yeah, that's true. So, and, and, you know, I mean, obviously, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 became Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 retroactively. It was originally just called Guardians of the Galaxy. Then they retroactively, when they said it, decided they were going to call Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 Volume 2, uh, they called the first one Volume 1. Actually, I think, if I remember correctly, the reason why it became known as Volume 1 was because of the soundtrack. The soundtrack was called Volume 1. Well, yeah, but... And then it was, like you said, yeah, retroactively added back into it because it's like it's more like a continuation of the soundtrack than the movie itself. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And which makes me think of, like, we call... Was it It? It's called It Chapter 1, and yeah. then the next one's going to be called It Chapter 2. But that means that book only has, like, two chapters, which to me just seems weird, like... I don't know if calling them chapters was a good idea. But then we have the same thing with, with John Wick. John Wick Chapter 1, John Wick Chapter 2, John Wick Chapter 3. Well, that makes a little more sense. There was a lot more than two chapters in It, though. Yeah, exactly. Which, I mean, they should have just been called It Part 1 or It Part 2. Or it could have been It and It Again. Or just, just, go, it. just go It, It 2, It 3. It's it. a little apostrophe S. I mean, it worked with... Uh, Kill Bill, I guess. Kill Bill Volume 1 and Kill Bill Volume 2. But that was one movie that they ended up splitting into two movies. So to me, it makes a little bit more sense. It was originally just one movie. um, So that makes some more sense. It was volume. They should do what they do with like the Fast and Furious titles. Make the number a part of the title. So it could be like the number two followed by the letter T. They only did that once. They did that the last last Fast and the Furious movie. Well, what about Fan Forstick? (laughs) Oh, God. We don't talk about that movie in this house. I want to say we should petition 
for uh, whoever, Warner Brothers, whoever did the movie, they should make it to it. Twit. Twit? Yes. I don't know. I don't know if I, I can get behind that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting what they end up calling that movie, I think. Um, or not what they end up calling it, but what the what what they do with the It series. Because, I don't know, I also have a problem with movies when they only go to one sequel. Like, I feel like three sequels. There are two sequels or three parts is a is the is a round per, like a good number. Well, yeah, the trifecta. You got to have the uh, the father, the son, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you know, I guess that's true. <laughs> it, uh, that's the way that you want to spin it. Well, yeah, because you can't have. Uh, well, let's let's make it the mommy, the daddy, and the baby. <laughs> and you know, you you can't have just the mommy and the daddy because then like what's going on? Like there's some kind of barrenness going on. It implies lack of creativity and continuation. So, yeah, round it out. Three. One, two, three. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, do you think that they would stretch out uh, chapter two of it into... Oh, God, I hope they don't do that. No? No. no. They have more than enough material to just finish it up without even having to include the space turtle crap in there and how it ties into the uh, Dark Tower universe and all that. (laughs) just, Just bring them back as adults. That's it. You don't have to... Uh, okay, well, speaking of that, speaking of it, we have some more casting news for it. We have um, at Andy Bean, who's been uh, cast as adult Stanley. Um, this coming off of earlier, they earlier in the week they um, they cast James Ransone as adult Eddie. Now, James Ransone, you might know from the Sinister movies. I want to say the scary movies uh, where the kids kill everybody in the family. Sinister? Is that the one with... Uh, the first one has Ethan Hawke in it. The second one has Shannon Sossaman in it. Oh, wow. I was thinking of uh, the one with Night Owl in it. Oh, that's uh, The Conjuring, Ah, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. With the uh, ghost Darth Maul. I don't know. It's what, like what? a demon that looks like Darth Maul. I make fun of it. Oh. <laughs> What's the insidious ones? Oh, that's what it is. No, the Conjuring is the one that has like eventually has a spin-off of the doll Annabelle and the the nun that's going to be coming out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's but that's right. also got Patrick Wilson in it too. Oh shit. He plays man. the he plays the um uh the 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 one of the couple that they went out and they solved ghosts Oh, mysteries. that's right. Yeah, like it's, it's kind like of based on a true story. Crossover potential. Yeah, that was the Conjuring. But then Insidious also has him as the father, right? Yes, that's oh, the one so. with the the demon Darth Maul. Oh, okay. I don't know. It's all just one big expanded universe in my opinion. Don't they, didn't they have like? Aren't they like on four on that? And then like the skeleton key was the last one or something sure, like that. You're asking the wrong guy. I yeah. lost track of that. I don't know. I don't know anything about those movies. But that's joining the cast of uh, Bill Hader, James McAvoy, and Jessica Chastain. Like. I think we've talked about that in the past when they made those uh, those casting. Um, Jessica Chastain as Beverly, obviously. James McAvoy as adult Bill. And uh, Bill Hader as adult Richie. Which I still think is a missed opportunity that they didn't cast Amy Adams. Even if she is overexposed. It was so perfect. They have the same exact eyes. And there was even that meta reference that the pharmacist says when... She puts on his glasses as a distraction so the kids can shoplift. So it's like Lois Lane. Yeah, Superman. he says, you look just like Lois Lane. I'm like, right, right. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so, that, I mean, 
How, how, do you feel anything about these two cast members being added to the show? Do you feel like they should have went with bigger stars, more stunt casting? Kind of, because I feel like there was a little bit of not really stunt casting, but for a made-for-TV movie, they had some recognizable people in the original. Oh, I definitely think that. that I mean, that was very. Rec- I mean, those were big TV stars at that time. Yeah, you had a uh, Jason like Ritter John Ritter, or John, John Ritter, Ritter. Sorry, Olivia Hussey. Annette O'Toole. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely Annette O'Toole. So, I feel like, you know, not some A-listers, but some recognizable names. Yeah. Some some people you're used to seeing in a few other things. Yeah. Um, I feel kind of bad for the dude playing Stanley. Spoilers. You know, he... Well, never mind. I'll see that. Okay. It's... <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I mean, whoever they get, they have to get someone that's... Wait, was Stanley the the fat one? No, Stanley was the Jewish boy, I believe. Oh, okay. Anyways. Uh, so, moving over to the Marvel Universe, they have uh, hired a couple writers to write the Eternals movie that is sounding like is going to be in the next phase Uh I don't know why they're going with Eternals. Some people were really excited about this. I think I think going further into space with the Marvel U is just not a good idea. So, but we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh the two the two writers is a, a writing duo, uh Matthew and Ryan Furpo, they're they're brothers. I don't think they have anything to their credit yet. The biggest thing that they have is they have a script on uh the Blacklist, the Hollywood Blacklist right now. It's called uh Ruin and it's kind of just a, a script that's being passed around. It's really hot, but no one's making it yet. So, we'll uh, we'll have to see, I guess, what they end up doing with the with the Eternals. Yeah, I think um, Thor Ragnarok and Guardians of the Galaxy has really given the space angle like a lot of viability. So that's probably why they're exploring it and explore some more of that Jack Kirby style art that's psychedelic. Yeah, but you know, I mean. I think you got lucky with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy because of James Gunn making that movie that as good as it was. And then Thor Ragnarok, you had Taika Waititi come through and create that world for them going off of Jack Kirby's uh, designs. And essentially, it's just... It's, it's just... I... I don't know. I've read comic books for a very long time, and the space stuff just have not has never been interesting to me. So I don't see how that's going to be that's going to work out for them. But who knows? It, I mean, it could. Maybe I'm I'm completely wrong. Like, do you care about the story of the Celestials and you know? Yes, actually. Ego and nowhere and all that. Nonsense? Oh yeah, I find that stuff fascinating. See, I'm kind of the opposite. I know some people really love the street level stuff, and I couldn't care less for that. Like I, I, every time Spider-Man's worried about like how he's can't balance crime fighting with taking his girl out on a date and doing his homework, I like just roll my eyes and I'm like, whatever, dude. And like when I see stories about the Celestials and cosmic level things happening, I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Like I just, I guess it just can't relate to the everyman plight. Like I'm more interested in like what's happening out in the beyond and something that can't even be comprehended on a. See, I guess that's, that's why I'm kind of in the middle. Uh, I guess, or maybe why I like DC a little bit more than Marvel, because uh, the everyday man or the, the street level stuff isn't. I mean, it, I like it, but it's not the interest. The bit, my biggest interest in the the cosmic stuff isn't my interest either. I like the 
global things like Superman takes care of or the Justice League or Avengers, you know, like that that's the stuff that I enjoy. Like the stuff that affects all of the, the earth itself. So uh, all right, well, external. If externals is the next thing that they're doing, then or I'm sorry, Eternals, not externals. Uh, Eternals <laughs> is the next thing they're doing, and that's what they're doing. Uh, sticking in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but going over to Netflix, even though it might not be even Netflix for that much longer. The Daredevil season three. Uh, it was reported that Wilson Bethel had joined the cast uh, a while ago, and his IMDb credit for Daredevil season three says FBI agent. But it sounds like everybody is really speculating that he is uh, he is Bullseye. Um, I don't know if you know Wilson Bethel. I don't think I'm too familiar with his work. But it says his IMDb says he's in a bunch of episodes of How to Get Away with Murder on ABC. Uh, he was in an episode of C- Criminal Minds, uh, The Astronaut Wives Club, Heart of Dixie. Um, American Coco, Young and the Restless. Oh, he was a soap star. <laughs> so he's got some dramatic chops. Oh, Generation Kill. That was a big miniseries on HBO. Uh, yeah, I mean, other than that, it doesn't... I mean, nothing really that I think anybody is really, could really uh, say they recognize him from, or at least not on a general idea. So uh, we'll see. I, I mean, that's. I guess that's a good thing. Do you? Do you? Would you want a big star? I mean, I guess I wasn't pushing for a big star, but the one person that I was always pushing for to be uh, Bullseye was Jonathan Tucker. I don't know if you know who Jonathan Tucker. Actually, you should know who Jonathan Tucker is. He is playing the major in uh, Westworld right now. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. Um, I could see that. I honestly like. I like the character of Bullseye quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any preference. That's the kind of character where I care just enough that as long as it's somebody that did a good in the role, it didn't have to be anybody that was well-known. Like, okay. it could be a complete unknown, but if they got the right person to do it, you know, have yes. that same... I I didn't like Colin Farrell. Uh, Farrell? Yeah. Farrell, yeah. I didn't like his portrayal because he was a little too goofy and silly. Yeah. Um. Like, he was the only one that was in on the joke that the movie was going to be crap. Yeah. He, so he just enjoyed it. I, I think it's just more of like, he's like, oh, I'm doing a comic book movie, so I got to be goofy, stuff like that. Yeah, he, he pushed the camp up. So, um, I know, I want somebody that does it with a sense of malice as opposed to a sense of just over-the-top zaniness. Because <laughs> he's like very... Uh, I don't know if masochistic is the right word, but he really enjoys killing people. And like the skill involved in doing it, so I want to see like Rube Goldberg s type kills where he just bounces things on, you know, multiple. <laughs> Basically, I want it to be like, uh, what was that? Uh, Final Destination, right? But instead of an invisible force, it was him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I think you you just need to get an actor that's going to play it very sadistic, very, uh, uh, very manic i guess i don't you know because he's supposed to be a, a, a good a great killer and he likes what he does so like a ramsey bolton from game of thrones yeah that that's work it's, it's too bad that he's already played uh <laughs> fucking maxima from or maximus from 
the Inhumans, but... Well, I hear his schedule might be clearing up soon. Well, the so. Inhumans definitely isn't coming back, so... <laughs> I mean, they, they could recast him. They, they have done that in the Marvel Universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, just, I don't think they would. Um, the Lord of the Rings TV show on Amazon. It's being reported by uh, the OneRing.net, which is a Lord of the Rings uh, news website. I used to watch this website... Uh, back in the early 2000s when the first movies were going to come out just to see what the latest news was. Was it usually pretty accurate? Um, yeah, it's actually... I think they became the official, unofficial website for Lord of the Rings apart from like the studio one. Well, they're saying that the new series, the new series at least the first season, will center around a young Aragorn. Which is interesting because who can you get to play young uh, Viggo, Viggo Mortensen? Mortensen? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. He's got a very distinct look. I always thought that uh, Andy Lincoln and Viggo Mortensen looked alike, though. Oh, so, yeah. uh, I mean, obviously, Andy Lincoln's not a younger version of <laughs> Viggo Mortensen. <laughs> they but just happen to look alike. They just yeah. happen to look alike. Uh, I don't know who you could get to play. I mean, and how young are we talking? Are we talking about, like, young 20s? Are we going even lower, like, teens? Well, here's the interesting thing about Aragorn's character. He's a member of a slightly different race of men called the Dunedain, I believe. Mm-hmm. Long story short, they're kind of like half-elf, half-human. I'm kind of brutally torturing it. Um, but basically, let's just say they're slightly more pu- pure human than the regular human. Mm. Regular humans have like a short lifespan compared to his uh, race, which can be a, a, like up to a couple hundred years old. Uh, when we meet him in Lord of the Rings, he's already like 80-something. Um so like yeah his anything having to do with young aragorn can be quite a young stretch uh young quite a big stretch of time um including from his fostering in rivendell with the elves to uh when he leaves to go and start his rangering and becomes known as strider um they hint that a little bit in the hobbit movies where they send legolas out on a mission to go meet strider right that was essentially young um Aragorn. Aragorn, yeah. And that was already something like 60 years um, prior to the events of The Lord of the Rings. So what if, uh, I mean, I hear that he's going to be having his schedule clear up here pretty soon too. What if uh, you get um, Kit Harington to play young Aragorn? Ooh. I mean, isn't that essentially what his... uh, character becoming a ranger on the on the night's watch kind of is i like it <laughs> i think he can meet that the elvish redhead in the cave and yeah yeah uh yeah no uh i mean i'm glad that you have quite a bit of knowledge of the of the tolkien universe so we can you can have that discussion i mean i assume we're gonna be getting a lot more news about this show coming oh, in yeah. The next uh, six months to I mean, a year. You, you might not be aware of this, but I'm, I'm kind of a geek. Yeah, I mean, it's a good thing. It's yeah. a good thing. I think you're at the right place. Uh, the Dark Universe over at Universal. That's still happening. Eh? Apparently, it's still happening. <laughs> Everybody assumed that it was gone because, uh, was it Robert Orsi had left? He's the one who had started the whole thing over there. Or was it Kurtzman? Or if it was Alex Kurtzman, I don't know. One of those two. I think of the two of them as the same person. I know they recently broke up, broke up their partnership, but... Uh, one of the two of them was working on it. Yeah, I think it was just one person that had actually been melded from one of those Dragon Ball fusion dances. <laughs> and then, like, the their ultimate suckage finally, like, broke them apart. Hey, hey, I like their movies. I don't, you don't need and to... And you have the right to be wrong. 
And you have the right to be <laughs> suck it. All right. Uh, well, Robert Vargas, uh, whoever that is, uh, had a great meeting this morning with uh, the amazing Dark Universe team. Thank you, Universal Exec Holly Goline and Crash for the hospitality. Looking forward to con- contributing to the Universal Picture Legacy with my work, Monster Things in the Works. Stay tuned. And there was a picture, and this is all on his Instagram, and there was a picture of a. Uh, uh, the Dracula in the background. Who's the actor in that? Carl. Is it the actor that played Dracula? In that Wasn't one? that Bela Lugosi? That was Bela Lugosi. That isn't. I didn't say Be- Bela Lugosi. I don't think. But and it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it's the the poster for Dracula behind it. So does that mean he's going to be doing Dracula? I mean, they already did Dracula. They did Dra- Dracula Untold, Unbound. On on something with um uh, the one actor that played Gaston. Uh, oh, Chris Evans? No, no. Chris, Chris Evans. Chris, it's a Chris, isn't it? I don't think it's a Chris. Ev- it is Evan though, because he was also in The Hobbit. He was the. Uh, oh, was, that's right. He, he played was Archer. Uh, Bard the Bowman. Bard, yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. Evan something, yeah. Whatever. He's uh he he was Dracula in that movie, so. I don't know. Unbound. Un- was it Unbound? I no, it was, it was Frankenstein Unbound. I think it was Untold. Oh, so it was Dracula Untold and Frankenstein Unbound? Frankenstein Unbound with the uh, fucking Robert De Niro back in the 90s? No, no, that was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. The newest Frankenstein was with uh, Two-Face. No, that was I Frankenstein with Oh, oh my with Aaron god. <laughs> no, I know, you but can't even keep these all straight. I know back in the back in the 90s there was a Robert De Niro Frankenstein movie. Like yeah, he, that was Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. No. Yes. Are you sure? Yeah, with uh Kenneth Branagh, I believe as or Keith Sutherland. Yeah, one of those um like fair-haired actors. White dudes, yeah. <laughs> I think it was Kenneth Branagh. Well, there was a Frankenstein Unbound back in the day too. Back that... in the 90s. It was a different one then, but yeah, no, the the um, the the De Niro one was definitely Mary Shelley's. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, because the, the the Dracula, I want to say it's un, untold, uh, was supposed to be the first movie in the new Dark Universe that didn't do well. Then they went on to the Mummy with Tom Cruise, and they thought that was gonna do spectacular. So they went and said, "Oh, we're gonna do uh, Bride of Frankenstein with uh, Angelina Jolie." Angelina Jolie. Uh, Frankenstein with Javier Bardem. Um, I don't remember who, who else they had thrown out there. I mean, I think there was supposed to be someone for... Oh, Johnny Depp is the Invisible Man. But and Russell Crowe was supposed to be Mr. Hyde. Well, he was Mr. Hyde. Dr. Dr. Jekyll, Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in the Mummy movie. Yeah. Did he actually turn into Mr. Hyde? Yep. Oh, okay. He actually turns into something that he had been... You know, it's a, he developed a serum for it to keep the Hyde down as opposed to a serum to bring Hyde out. Uh, so, uh, you know, eventually if he doesn't get his serum, then he comes out and causes havoc. And, uh, yeah, that was that a thing. That sounds remarkably original. And, um, yeah, I think they were also going to try to work in the Wolfman and the Creature from the Black Lagoon, a.k.a. the Gill Man at some point. Which makes me think, was the um, Benicio Del Toro Wolfman movie, was that supposed to be their other first attempt at, at doing this dark universe? It might have been, but that one took place back in the um, like time period appropriate. Yeah, the so. appropriate day, yeah, you're right. So did well, it's, it's, so did Dracula, but but Dracula lives forever. Yeah, so. Dracula, that could have been a prequel. It, well, that's at the end of that movie. He, it's he, modern it's times. It's modern times, oh, yeah. Okay. So, 
last but not least in our stories uh, of the geek world this week, obviously Deadpool 2 came out. Everybody went and saw it. It's second highest opening for an R-rated movie of all time, uh, following only Deadpool. <laughs> oh, wait. Did they finally beat uh, Passion of the Christ? Well, I think... I don't, is that, that is considered R-rated, R-rated isn't yes. it? Yes. I don't know. I don't... I don't as a matter of fact, I think he even mentions that in like the opening sequence. That he does. <laughs> he does. He does mention that in the opening sequence of the of Deadpool two. But I don't. Rem- I mean, that's what I read today was that it it was behind. It's it's the highest. But I maybe worldwide it's, it's the number maybe one. it's it's uh, what it is is that it was. Passion of the Christ has probably made more money than Deadpool overall as an R rated movie, but it might not have the biggest opening weekend for an R rated movie. I don't know. I remember there being a lot of busloads of Christians going to see Passion of the Christ. Yeah, but there's also a lot of buttloads of Deadpool fans. This is true. <laughs> now, if you put them against each other, who would win? Oh, Deadpool fans, <laughs> obviously. But uh, this isn't—we're not talking about Deadpool right here. We're talking about uh, another project of Ryan Reynolds. He wanted to—he wants to remake Clue, but he wants to make it an R-rated movie. And I am all for every single bit of that. <laughs> I mean, Clue is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I, video, it, and as a board game, that's one of my favorite board games of all time. So uh, I'm all for this. I think it probably could be amazing. I think, uh, I don't know why you would need to make it R-rated. I guess they might go with the blood. They, they need the blood. But I feel like I feel like that is shortchanging yourself. Like, you don't need it to be R-rated. You can totally... Uh, make that PG thirteen and have kids come see it. It would probably just be for like maybe some language issues. Like he, they, in order to really unleash themselves, they maybe want to be able to throw in a. They want to say profanity. fuck more than twice. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I could also imagine if they really go with the R rating, they can maybe have a gag where somebody falls and pulls down the maid's top or something. Because you know, if they go. According to what the original casting was, it'll be a rather top-heavy maiden. So I mean, uh, that that could maybe they go with a little bit more jigsawish, you know, killings. Like maybe someone <laughs> some like torture porn type yeah, stuff. Yeah, like something gruesome. like that. Or maybe it's hostile-ish. Maybe they're gonna get Eli Roth to come in and, and direct it. I don't know. It seems weird that he <laughs> wants it to be R-rated. I just, I mean, I get it. You're doing successful with your R-rated Deadpool movies, but I don't feel like. Clue needs to be R-rated. Yeah, Porky's needs to be R-rated. Clue can stay PG-13, just kind of drop some innuendo. In many ways, that's what makes it funnier. When it's you true. just kind of allude to things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, or use technical terms rather than, you know, the crass, you know, definitions of things. So. I think, I mean, I think that doing the double or the innuendo or the double entendres, it makes it great for kids and adults alike because kids are laughing because the adults are laughing because they get it and then later on in life when the kids go back and rewatch it they're like oh there was a sex joke there yeah <laughs> i mean isn't that just the best it is so that's why i liked watching things like uh shrek and uh ghostbusters and all kinds of things like that do you think that uh do you have any like ideas for for casting in that movie oh boy do i <laughs> do you now <laughs> well i would love it if bill skarsgård just started playing any other role that they remake that once featured tim curry <laughs> so he would play the butler so he would play the butler aka mr body right in this version um so i would love that and being that he's already associated with ryan reynolds due to deadpool 2 i could really see that happening that's true 
Um, I would also love it if they get uh, one of the lovely top-heavy actresses in Hollywood now, such as Haley Atwell or Christina Hendricks, to play the maid. I'm not ashamed to say it. I think they fill the role quite well. Double entendres. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, there was a great cast. There was, you know, um, I can't think of uh, everybody's name, but there was Christopher Lloyd, was Professor Plum, Martin Mull as Colonel Mustard. Susan Sarandon. N- not Susan Sarandon. Oh, that's right. It was uh, not Susan Sarandon. What was her name? Uh, <laughs> uh, I can't think of uh, Miss Scarlett's name. I, I forget the actress's name. I think name. she was Susan Sarandon. And I forget the actress' names of Mrs. White and of Yvette the Maid. But Michael McKean was uh, Mr. Green. And yes, I think uh, Ryan Reynolds would play Mr. Green pretty well since he's going to be producing the movie anyways. Yeah, I think he'd be the, the best one to kind of play that role kind of straight. But... You know, because it's him, you know that anything he says is probably you know spiced with a little bit of a uh, you know humor. Do you go in? Do you go and get a whole bunch of uh, giant cameos, giant star cameos for uh, this this movie as well for the casting? I don't know about giant, but definitely some surprise ones. Like the original had uh, that chick from the Go Go's. Yeah, the chick from the the Go Go's, and uh, you know a lot of great casting in general. All right, that's enough of that. Let's go ahead and get into Westworld Season 2, Episode 4, The Riddle of the Sphinx. Do you know what the actual riddle of the Sphinx was? I do. Inform our listeners that might not know what it was. All right, so in the... What was it? Legend? It was the myth of uh, Odysseus. Not Odysseus. Um, Who was the guy that wanted to bang his mom? Oh, Oedipus. Oedipus? Yes. Okay. Oedipus Rex. Um, so, for some reason, he went up to the Sphinx. He needed to go into, like, the hidden city, uh, whichever one it was at the time. And the Sphinx was guarding it. The Sphinx being a mythological creature with the head of a woman, body of a lion, and wings of an eagle. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, they were more America than America was back then. <laughs> and uh, so, the Sphinx had, was notorious for having a riddle that... Uh, you know, you had to answer it in order to get in. If you didn't answer it, it would devour you. And so the Sphinx's riddle was, what has four legs at dawn, two legs at noon, and three legs at dusk? And uh, Oedipus got it right. He said, man. Meaning, man at the dawn has, you know, crawls on all fours when he's a child. Uh, when he's at his peak, he walks on two legs when he's full grown and whatever, you know, all that is man. And, you know, on the sunset of his life, you know, he walks on three legs because he uses a cane. So right there, when I made that connection and I was like, holy shit, that is a perfect way to summarize what this episode is trying to get at, which is about the riddle of the Sphinx is the problem of mortality. Right. And it's about cutting out the dusk and keeping it at noon, you know, breaking the clock essentially. So, uh, yeah, it, 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 with the, a lot of this episode deals with uh, James Delos and him having to come to the realization that he died and he's actually a program simulation of himself. He, from what I understand of how it, like they're explaining it, he is a collection of his thought patterns and. Um, consciousness prior so every time they load him into a new body and they do this 149 times you find out by the end um 
he runs through a certain cycle where he basically ends up repeating exactly the same thing. Right. I mean, there's probably part of that is having to do with the fact that he's in this small environment. He has a routine that he follows. But even when he has interactions with William, it turns out they're pretty much always exactly the same interaction because he's not progressing from what this, um, I guess, from what the programming of his mind was. It's like an imprint of his brain that was left and it's now just reading only. It's not writing new memories. Right. And that's what they explain is that it starts to break down after a certain number of days because it just can't assimilate or it can't accept its new reality. They can't quite crack what's going on. Ultimately, this is probably what a lot of the research was in um, in Westworld with whatever they're doing to try to extend mortality. But uh, yeah, so you know, you see it that he starts to degrade even during their conversation. Um, you know, he starts to not be able to generate uh, new ideas, it seems like, or can't uh, go past what the imprint of his mind was. And that's what they're trying. It looks like that's what they're trying to crack. Is, and this all the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, I mean, we see young William come in there, or I guess William at the age that he married into the family and then... Uh, an older William uh, that's still using Jimmy Simpson's face, but you can tell that they put in a little bit of Ed Harris's voice and then they go straight into Ed Harris. And even uh, James at one point is kind of like, what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, obviously you're older. So I am uh, my, uh, whatever it was they were going to do to try and heal him didn't work. Yeah, he always comes to the realization that he's dead, and but he's not quite sure how much time has passed until he sees old William. Right, exactly. Uh, which I would say that kind of sped up the process of him coming to the realization, like when he we walks into the room and it's Ed Harris. Yeah, although that time, which was the last time that we see him in that flashback, um, if I understand it correctly, that actually happens right before the events of Westworld Season 1 in the current timeline. I would say so. I mean, obviously, because uh, William says to the assistant at that point to uh, just let him, you know, fight himself out instead of just uh, destroying everything like they do normally. And I, obviously, things go crazy and <laughs> at that point and when... Bernard and uh, freshly returned Elise, Elsie, Elsie, sorry, Elsie, <laughs> Elsie, show up. The, the 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 that version of him is still in there, kind of going crazy, cutting himself up with the uh, shards of glass, and his assistant has been killed. Yeah, he went full on like Event Horizon in there. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing, Event Horizon, or uh, you know how the Terminator in the first one was always cutting himself up too, like taking his eye out and stuff like that oh yeah well the self-mutilation was definitely showing that like he just degraded past the point of no return right as very uh i mean if if he was in vietnam he would have had a necklace made of ears i'm sure <laughs> uh so i mean this story there this episode jumps around between bernard uh james and william Essentially, yeah. we don't see Maeve, we don't see Dolores. Mm -mm. Uh, it's kind of more just following their their, their stories. Um, 
definitely even Bernard is like I don't know where I'm at in time right now and she's in uh Elsie is like yeah it shows that your memories are all jumbled up you don't know what comes first uh, which is very interesting for her to say um because she is a part of the memory so to me it's almost like there's three different timelines going on there yeah and I'm going to just jump right into it because a red um not a redditor a youtuber made a, a really cool video that I saw today that's trying to explain the concept of the cradle. Okay, so that's the little thing that holds all the memories? Sort of. So, it, there was a throwaway line that the really badass commando girl says. Um, she says the cradle's offline now when uh, Stubbs and Bernard and the other big wig Delos guys show up mm-hmm. uh, right outside the main uh, train tracks. Mm-hmm. And um, it's kind of a throwaway line because you don't really know what they're talking about. But somebody pointed out that in the uh, synopsis of the episode for Westworld, uh, westworld.com or wherever it is, um, there's a link you can follow that talks about the cradle. And it shows a very interesting diagram. It's some sort of schematic. And you can't quite tell if it's a, like a physical room or some kind of like circuitry. But it seems to have some interesting data port looking sections that look a lot like the parts that you would plug in those little brain bulbs into Mm -hmm. and they said something to the effect of the cradles offline and in the synopsis they mentioned how the cradle can be used to run simulations on uh, disembodied host brains so it's interesting that they're bringing these bits of information together because it's lending a little more credence to the idea that all of the timeline that we're witnessing through Bernard's point of view is actually him not experiencing it directly or indirectly, but rather through some kind of simulation similar to when they spin you up in, uh, in altered carbon. In altered carbon, yeah. They're just plugging in your brain into like a VR machine and just playing out whatever's in there to try to collect as much information as they can. Because he also points out there is a lot of very, very obvious continuity errors including in the first episode of the season that wouldn't make sense on a big budget show like this unless they're intentionally trying to show that bernard is experiencing the same event over and over again which is something that uh delos james delos is going through in this episode he's reliving the same moment essentially um just in different time periods because his brain like i said it can't and that's the 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 riddle of this episode or of this you know technology is how to unlock the brain to go back to being the consciousness it once was and not just a collection of memories that don't generate new ones so so what's the what's the continuity error um there's a lot of continuity errors where they shoot uh, what was the name of the must the uh pork uh, not pork chops uh sideburns guy that oh uh steven Ogg, the the yes the actor um, whenever they replay uh, that scene, there are several sequences where he's still alive and they shoot the woman mm-hmm. or he stands in front of her and they shoot him first. And then others where he's already dead and then they shoot the woman as well. Mm. And every time they cut kind of back and forth in the background, there will be a different combination of those. And there's a few others too, uh, such as... Um, there was this very obvious uh, sand print on that machine that they plugged the 
the uh, Indian brain into. Mm. And then in the next shot, they pan very slowly from the machine to Stubbs, and it doesn't have that sand print anymore. And they're saying, like, that it could just be a continuity error. But for an episode that has so many, that has to be planned out. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I would say everything in this show is very well planned out. They, they've taken their time to, uh, elab- to construct a very elaborate maze, so to speak. <laughs> and they make a point also to say that Bernard finishes that Delos guy's sentences um, on more than one occasion. Mm. And he always looks confused that he knows what he's about to say, which is something that we witnessed James Delos doing he realized he was saying the exact same thing because they gave him a printout of it. Mm-hmm. In many ways, he's acting like a host that's been pre-programmed. Right. So ultimately, they're trying to crack that secret that can get the host, or in this case, James Delos, out of that cycle, that loop, and become an autonomous thinking entity once more. Okay. Um, we saw Bernard... In one of his timelines, uh, he went through and killed, had or had the drones kill a bunch of the scientists in that habit hole, whatever you know that little lab or whatever it's, it is. They're calling it the Lazarus Pit. Okay, sure. Why not? And well, there's actually a good reason for that. Okay. Um, if you remember the uh, previously on Westworld sequence right before the episode starts. Mm-hmm. They actually cut to a sequence of uh, Ford talking to Bernard, saying how, you know, humanity has reached this pinnacle. Once they conquer death, what else is left? Call Lazarus forth from the cave. Mm -hmm. And that was an interesting thing that they pointed out, because in this episode, Clementine drags Bernard to a cave. That's true. A cave that Elsie is in. And then it turns out that this cave is the secret entrance to that lab where they're trying to figure out how to resurrect James Delos. And kind of an interesting little Easter egg is the way into the cave or to the secret part of the cave is by sliding the rock over. Same way they did with Jesus. Which is essentially, yeah, that's exactly how they describe the uh, the stone slab that was rolled out of the w- entrance to the cave to uh, bring forth Lazarus from the cave. Mm. Um, so, a lot you- of Jesus said metaphor in this, this season <laughs> so far. We've got the Last Supper, uh, a big old thing in the church, mm-hmm. and messiah complexes everywhere <laughs> uh obviously the the one person that's going to lead them to uh glory or wherever you know yeah the uh, promised land the promised land um uh what was i going to say uh, uh oh elsie are we thinking she's real is that the real elsie is this a uh another host is this uh just all some kind of false memory inside bernard's head I think everything we're seeing about Bernard is false memory. Okay. The way that it jumps around so much, I think. Um, Another thing that that YouTuber pointed out is notice how every time they ask him questions, they watch his reaction. Mm -hmm. They don't react to things around them. They don't really offer him any kind of assistance or medical help. They just like say, hey, so what happened here? And he's like, I'm not sure. And they just kind of look disappointed at him, like, well, maybe not this time. Let's run it again. Yeah, but like with Elsie, he, she, uh, he's like, look, I need more cortical fluid or whatever, and she helps him. Which now we know what they call that brain juice. Yeah, I'm glad about that. We don't have to keep calling it brain juice. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think, I, I do think she's fake. I don't think I think he killed her in the first season, and this is all kind of 
some kind of simulation to help him remember stuff. But so that would just have been like, he needs this to, to move on to the next level. So we're going to throw in a program where it's like, okay, yeah, here, here's your, here's your fake placebo to help you. Yeah. Basically on. like if he's not trusting the higher ups, give him somebody that he could potentially have a more of a rapport with because mm-hmm. he has no reason to trust, you know, the Delos security or Charlotte or anyone else. But here's somebody that was kind of a protege of his, and and he would he feels bad for killing, or yeah, he couldn't have that guilt complex for extinguishing her flame. What do we think is inside the brown marble that he took? That has to be somebody's mind, but who exactly at this point? Could be Ford, could be maybe Bernard, like the real Arnold. Mm-hmm. Um. It, it has to be a human brain because it looks too different. It seems like the difference between the the host brains and the human hybrid brains is that the host brains are all white and the human hybrid ones might be those reddish ones that kind of look like red velvet cupcakes. Uh, who The part where he kills all those scientists in the Lazarus pit, do you think that is... Where, do you, where one, why do you think he did it? And two, why do you think... Uh, when, when do you think that happened? Well, that had to have happened... During the events of season one, after Ford basically told them to start, you know, going out and taking care of business. Because we all know that everybody knew that Dallas was trying to sneak information out of there. And, I mean, we know that when Elsie finally started to crack what was going on, that's when she disappeared. And then later we find out that it was Arnold or Bernard that did it. Um, under, same, the, under the control of Under Arnold, the control of Ford. Ford yeah. uh, same with uh, Stands with the Fist. What was her name? Um, Stance his, with the Fist? Br- yes. Well, she played Stance with the Fist in um, Dances with Wolves. And this one, she was Bernard's lover that didn't realize that she was a, he was a host. Oh, I, for, I already forgot that character. Yeah, her name, whatever she was. Yeah, you know, killed her for the same reason because she was getting too close. Right. Um, so, yeah, it had to have been sometime around then. Um, shortly before the events of... Um, of the season finale but definitely also before bernard realized that he was a host himself Mm -hmm. because at that point he was still you know um another thing somebody's been pointing out is that the scar on his temple from when he shot himself disappears from timeline to timeline sometimes he has it sometimes he doesn't so that could be another way to kind of try to piece together um potentially he um gets a replacement body or it could just be a sign that he's you know not the real him anymore or not in his body right okay that's uh that's interesting so uh like like i said the the other part that of the episode really focuses on um on william and his journey ed harris's character or ed the ed harris version of him has uh clifton collins jr um character of lawrence lawrence thank you they're going back to the city where Lawrence's family is and his cousins. And uh, when they get there... Which is called Las Mudas, by the way. Which means... The death ones, or wait, no, the mute ones. The mute ones, okay. Um, uh, the, the, the major, the major that um, Teddy let get away is there with his men. And they've taken over the town, and they're essentially, I guess, were they waiting for William to show up? Were they waiting for anybody to show up? Well, they definitely had an ambush in tow. Like, they came, sat down, 
got a drink from the bartender. The bartender looked nervous. That's when William, William like, kind of realized something wasn't right. He's like, I haven't even started killing anybody yet. Why are you nervous? Yeah, and then that's when all the Confederados came out of the woodwork and, you know, had their guns drawn on them. And it's like he didn't care so much about what was happening until uh, until something something happened. And he was like, well, then you went too far. And he broke the bottle open and, and stabbed the major right in the neck. Yeah, what was that part? I don't remember it either, but I thought it was interesting <laughs> because I mean, he's kind of always been the the well, Ed Harris version of the of of William has always kind of been a dick and and you know ruthless and stuff. But it seemed like he had a little bit of heart at this point. Well, I think he just didn't want the host to beat him at the game he's trying to play. Like this was definitely a setback, and he played an interesting uh, gamble there by. Revealing where there was a hidden cache of weapons in Nitro. Right. Which uh, Lawrence was like, as long as they don't find it, we'll be okay. We just kind of have to hold out. And it was like, where is it? It's like, oh, an unmarked grave in the back of the church. And it was like, oh, yeah, excuse me there. Uh, I know where the weapons are. And, you know, I guess he just does it to kind of get on their good side for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they... But yeah, the Confederados were pretty much ready to start executing people. Like the first elder that got up, they said, who's in charge here? Some guy got up, which looks suspiciously like the bartender from the Three Amigos for some reason. <laughs> he just had that face. Oh, I, 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 didn't, I didn't catch that if, if it was him. <laughs> it probably wasn't him. That dude's probably like in his 60s by now. But yeah, I was yeah like, he'd be pretty old. Hey, that guy looks familiar. Maybe it's his son. Maybe I'm racist. I don't know. <laughs> but um. Yeah, so first guy that gets up to kind of take a role of leadership gets his head blown off. And, um, yeah, so we know that it's going to end badly for the people if they don't cooperate, but they're just trying to wait it out. William just says, screw this. Hey, here's where the weapons are. And gives it to him. The Confederados are getting drunk and a little cocky. And that's ultimately their downfall. Now, at the end of it, when he he saves the people of Los Mudos, uh, he the Lawrence's daughter or the the host that plays Lawrence's daughter has another message for him, just like she did the first time around. Uh, the, once again from Ford, I would assume, saying that look, you did one good thing. The you know, it doesn't make up for the fact that you're an asshole and have done a lot of bad things in your life. I mean, what did you take of uh of William's answer? Well, I don't think he's trying to be a good guy. No, I think he's just. He's really in it for himself. He's resigned that he's an asshole. And now he's just trying to see this through to the end because it's a challenge. Because now it's a challenge because can, he can die. Yeah. Um, then, I guess, one of the other parts of the story that, that, that did happen in this, because we saw uh, the Grace character who was in Rajland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she eventually made it over to Westworld because she jumped off the cliff. And then she got taken in by the Native Americans. Um, she was going to get sacrificed with the QA guy, uh, fucking Luke Hemsworth. And then uh, she she made a book for it. She 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 took off. Yeah, she said, not today. <laughs> split. Then she shows up at the end of the episode and we find out that she's actually William's daughter. How was that for a reveal? Right? I mean... <laughs> I, I kind of felt like that way after she left the, the natives. Like, I was like, oh, what if she ends up being somebody other than just a random person? And they talked a lot about her his daughter in this episode when 
you know, when the, when Ed Harris has to explain to um, James Delos that his daughter is already dead and, and stuff like that, I think they, they talk about uh, his uh, William's daughter, too. And they talked about it earlier in the episode, I think, when, oh, when uh, him and Lawrence are talking about his daughter. I think they also talk about it when William is talking to James Delos when he's catching her up or catching him up on the family history. Yeah. Let's him know that uh, Logan overdosed years prior. Mm-hmm. His wife killed himself or killed herself, herself because of him. And um, and she and his daughter doesn't and like him. Or his something? daughter like blames him for it. Right. Doesn't like him. So basically he's admitting that he's kind of a screw up. And interestingly enough, uh, one of my favorite aspects about it is you kind of see a little bit more of where the man in black gets his motivation. He's coming to the realization that, like, immortality is not something that is earned, especially not by some, like, rich douche. And he kind of comes across that, like, you know, maybe we're not supposed to live together or for together forever, uh, especially not if, like, everyone you cared about is dead. You know, what else is there to live for? Like, what's the point of just keeping a rich man alive? You know, like, where, what's, ultimately, what's the point? And I think that's, that's why he seems a little disheartened and kind of doesn't care and just wants to kind of burn the whole thing down because he realized, you know, like, if we do succeed, that'd actually be worse than all the wasted money. Because then what kind of world are you making? Just the super rich can then live forever it's essentially the beginning of the meths for altered carbon that's it's, it's true maybe the, the two worlds are gonna be connected i that'd be cool i'd like <laughs> to see that uh what do you take what do you how do you take it that uh his daughter who hates him and blames him for a lot of the stuff that's happened in his life or her life or to their family is also a participant in the whole delos theme park world makes sense i mean she's done it enough to the, to the point where she can actually talk a little bit of the native language she uh had done Rajworld enough that she knows where certain people were supposed to be and not supposed to be and and stuff like that but not who's a host and who's real <laughs> well yeah fair enough i mean could have been a new model got just have to be sure yeah yeah it's true yeah and an interesting thing as well it looked like she was looking for something because one thing they pointed out as well uh, in other analysis i've seen that little journal that she's carrying mm-hmm. that has sort of like a hand-drawn map, it has the Delos logo. You see it as well in like a lot of the terminals um, where Bernard is doing a lot of his like time right now. A lot of the behind-the-scene places, especially when they point out that at one point they go to a room and they're like, this terminal has a completely different um, operating system than anything else and that I've worked with here in Westworld. Like, this is, like, a whole different thing. And it's got that same logo flickering on it. So it's got to be something uh, Delos-related, not specifically Westworld or whatever the whole park world is called. So it might be that she's also doing her own little side adventure of looking for something. Maybe that's who uh, Charlotte was sending messages back to? It could be, yeah. Do you think maybe uh, Logan wasn't as nearly a giant drug addict as he portrayed himself to be and he was making adventures into uh westworld or the other worlds to try and stop william i kind of really hope that i'm glad that you brought that up because i'm kind of really hoping that's how he goes that um logan saw the vain attempt at you know what they're trying to accomplish 
and maybe towards the end of his life kind of figured you know what i'm gonna actually do something that matters i'm gonna try to stop this or get to the bottom of it or even just expose it and like that as feeble and as an attempt maybe he's imparted some of that into grace which mm-hmm. i guess her real name is emily no i don't know i believe her real name is emily okay um but for some reason she was going as grace which is possible i mean they they tend to take on other names in, in westworld for whatever reason yeah so uh any other theories you'd like to throw out there as we're wrapping up this episode um that's primarily it that uh the fact that they're trying to conquer death by figuring out how to keep the brain continuing in the same pattern afterwards is interesting i like the idea that they're able to save essentially a snapshot of your personality but it it doesn't have room to expand it's like there's not enough hard drive space for it and it starts to like conk out so that's kind of an interesting challenge i think that uh, from a technological standpoint because i feel like that's kind of something that you think is what would happen you may be able to take an imprint of a brain but that's just it it's just like a copy of it it's not that person anymore or it's not able to become a person so i'm curious to see how they you know in the story anyway um circumvent that if at all or maybe it just turns out that there is some kind of invisible brick wall of consciousness that you know it's just impossible to get past and uh which is also kind of like the one episode of black mirror i think season two where the with uh Haley atwell ah uh, yes when she uses all the social media and emails and stuff like that of her dead husband to recreate him Yes, and it was a good facsimile of his of her husband, but it wasn't really him. It was just a copy of his, essentially, yeah, social media thought processes. And um, I would say that that's probably what we're getting right now, and that's what they're trying to solve. Okay, uh, I think that's a good place to, to wrap it up. If there's anybody else, any other suggestions that people would like to throw in there, any of their theories, you know, what they, they've picked up on Westworld so far, season two, we'd love to hear it. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm on Twitter as at Mitchipedia, G-E-R. John is also on Twitter as... I am at Magic Bollocks. The rest of Geek Elite Radio is at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter, at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram, Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page, and GeekEliteRadio.com is our website. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. But until next time, this has been the Geeks Watch on the Geekly Radio Network saying, always remember to geek geek out. out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.